most people, yeah, it's a boss relationship. Clearly, you can see it. There's pros and cons, man. Like, I've been taken advantage of by a lot of people. You gotta stop being so nice. You gotta stop being so great to people. But in reality, like, if I let people being bad change who I am as a person, then who am I? Yeah. You know? And I've done well this far. So I'll continue to make that mistake. Wherever you guys are watching this show, I would truly appreciate it if you follow or subscribe. It helps a lot with the algorithm. It helps us get bigger and better guests, and it helps us grow the team. Truly means a lot. Thank you guys for supporting, and here's the episode. Ladies and gentlemen, he is back for part two. Brandon Boski, how's it going, man? Good, dude. Just living, you know? Yeah. Different day, trying to figure out where I am all the time. Yeah. You party hard, man. Party harder than anyone I know at your level. Dude, not anymore. Yeah? You come back? No, dude, I haven't drank in like two months. Whoa. Yeah, I don't go out at all. What sparked that change? Uh, dude, honestly, man, I just was like, what am I doing this for? Yeah. You know, like, sure, industry events, but I was most known in my industry for, you know, my marketing role. But second most famous thing I've ever done was spent 97 grand on a table uh, for like <laughs> half the industry and then had three drinks. <laughs> and that was kind of when I realized, I was like, I don't like being drunk. And any of my friends know this, it takes me like easy 12 drinks to be drunk. You had a tolerance. Yeah. So if I have like six to eight drinks, my body feels it, but I'm not drunk. Right. Like I feel like the next day, but I didn't actually get drunk. Yeah. If I have like 12 to 15, yeah, I'm going to be drunk. But to get drunk and do that much damage to my body is just not worth it. So we're going to see a whole different beast then because you were already doing nine figures a year getting drunk every weekend. <laughs> yeah, I can't even imagine fun, man. your new form coming should out. should be fun. <laughs> Are you still all in on that AI customer service company? Yeah, dude. So V agents, uh, we're doing the thing. So replaces qualification agents, customer service reps, calls, texts, email, and uh, chat. Yeah. Have you launched it? Has it been? So our launch was actually this week at a show uh, in SureTech Connect here in town. Nice. Went really well. Show was kind of slow this year. Uh, Halloween. Yeah. Like, there was a conference F1, on people Halloween. Don't yeah. People, are, people have their plans this month, and yeah, these dude. are not those plans. Yeah. What are you going to do? How do you think F1's going to do in Vegas? I mean, I think it's going to crush. Yeah. I think it's annoying. <laughs> Obviously, we, you know, we have to deal with the traffic, but yeah. I think for like spectators, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. You're big on events and shows in general. Why do you feel so strongly about going to trade shows and stuff? Um, you know, man, it's good to meet people. And a lot of people try to disconnect themselves from the brand too early. Mm-hmm. And I feel like when something's a startup, you need to be as involved as possible. Like my marketing company, I'm on call. You know, we do over $100 million a year and I get a call here and there. And maybe I talk about it an hour a day or I work an hour a day on it. Yeah. My finance company, I have a, an interest in. It's a startup. So we're a few months into that. I work every day on that. Yeah. You know, the tech stuff, I work every day on that. But there comes a time where you can step back. I think what a lot of people do is they try to put people in place and have an expectation of them delivering something. Mm-hmm. And that's why most companies are mid. You know, they hire people that are good, but they don't, they're not there to give the direction. There's no soul. There's no culture. There's nothing right. to it. And that's something you it with. Most, like you said, most employees hate their boss, but yeah. you're there for your employees, right? You built that company culture. Yeah, well, I think the number one thing is like making sure people don't feel like they work for you. Mm. And whenever people start new businesses or come to me for advice, it's always with. Like X, Y, Z works with me. Yeah, obviously, hierarchically, they work for me, mm-hmm. but they work alongside me. We share a common objective and I don't talk to them like I'm their boss. That's absolutely necessary. Wow. Like so I try to like, yeah, I try to avoid that at all costs. I'm just, I ask things of people and they know what I expect. So they usually deliver on that. So even like your bottom tier employees that are maybe yeah, sales 100%, calls. still collaborative. Wow. Yeah. Like my QA reps that, you know, don't make close to what my core team makes, still treat them the same way. 
That's impressive because most people, yeah, it's a boss relationship. Clearly, you could see it. There's pros and cons, man. Like, I've been taken advantage of by a lot of people. Yeah. And a lot of the times when that happens, people are like, you got to stop being so nice. You got to stop being so great to people. But in reality, like, if I let people being bad change who I am as a person, then who am I? Yeah. You know? And I've done well this far. So I'll continue to make that mistake. Yeah. I haven't seen the nice guy route at the highest levels, but you seem to be pulling it off somehow. Good team. Yeah. Honestly, good team. I have amazing people in my life. Um, everybody in my team is like family to me. We do a lot of retreats. We mm -hmm. do a lot of like hangs. We do all these events. We have a suite at T-Mobile. We do F1 box there every year, you know? So it's just a matter of keeping people happy. Yeah. You get a going box. on trips. You get a box everywhere, man. I see you <laughs> Legion Stadium partying. Dude, I, I honestly, man, uh, Legion to me, I can't justify. So <laughs> not a big sports ball guy. Yeah. You know, when I was like five years old, Shout out to the Science of Scaling podcast hosted by Mark Roberge. It's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Each week, Mark, founding CRO at HubSpot CRO and senior lecturer at Harvard Business School, interviews some of the most successful sales leaders in tech to learn the secrets, strategies, and tactics to scaling company growth. He recently had on the head of sales from OpenAI, and that was a very interesting episode on the future of AI. Listen to the science of scaling wherever you get your podcast today. As old, I learned that if I'm not immediately pretty good at something, I don't want to do it. Yeah. And I grew up, never met my dad. Damn. So I was like field day where they have you do all the sports and stuff. There was yeah. T-ball. And I was like, all right, how hard could it be? I just swing a bat and hit a ball, right? And I played yeah. basketball and I ran track before everybody got tall and I didn't. <laughs> and uh, it was great. Everything was cool. I walk out onto the field. They're like, all right, you're going to swing this bat and hit this ball. I was like, sweet, easy, light work. And I cock back, swing, hit the tee, ball falls on the floor. Everybody laughs. I was like, never touching a baseball bat again. Literally dude. have not touched a baseball bat again. There's some traumatic sporting experiences as a kid. Yeah, you dude. Get, you get laughed at. You get, yeah, it's you up. Yeah, man. I still uh, remember I missed a free game-winning free throw in like high school in a league that doesn't even matter, but I still <laughs> think about it. Yeah, it's one of those things where you're like, had I made that, it <laughs> altered the trajectory of my life. Yeah, everything happens for a reason, though, man. 100%. But growing up without a father figure, I mean, that must have taken toll on you, right? Dude, you know, my grandfather passed away a month ago, uh, was like a mother and father in one. Mm -hmm. I grew up with my grandparents most of my life. Incredible dude, great work ethic, kind as hell. If I'm nice, he's the nicest man to ever walk the face of the earth. Wow. He made me look like a <laughs> that nice. Um, just a very selfless guy. I mean, even on his deathbed, he's sitting there asking me, so how's your siblings? How's everything? I'm like, dude, I'm trying to have a conversation with you. You're dying, bro. Yeah. And he was like, you know, why do you think Bill Gates and Elon Musk don't agree on things? And I'm like, how the hell would I know that? <laughs> I didn't even know they don't agree on things. What, yeah. what are you doing, dude? Damn. Let's talk about some important yeah. He's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> That's deep, man. Yeah. I, I grew up kind of without a father too. And I didn't even realize there's some things you don't learn, you know, not yeah. having that in your life. 100%. Dude. I didn't know how to tie a tie. I didn't know like basic man stuff for YouTube, a while. Bro. Dude. YouTube. YouTube. <laughs> YouTube University. I cheated. I got those clip on ties. I had Should've to. done that. The basketball team. You had to wear a tie every game. Oh, yeah. I dropped out of 15. So there was no <laughs> basketball team for me. Dropping out of 15. I mean, were you living with your grandparents when you dropped yeah, out? Yeah. So I went to um, AP psych class one day and the teacher was an idiot. Didn't even know his own material. And the guy would always say the wrong thing. And I'd correct him. And the class would get pissed at me. They'd be like, dude, shut up. Just let him talk. And I'm like, no, because you guys are going to go into life knowing the wrong information. Right. So one day he was like, you know, since you know everything, why don't you just quit school? And I had skipped like a year and a half. So I was like a junior and a half, effectively a senior, if I took a couple uh, summer classes. Yeah. But I had like 15 med school hours and like 12 college credits. Damn. So I was like, okay, yeah, you know what? 
Don't so you quit. need your uh, grandparents' signature for that? Uh, yeah. And he signed it? Yeah. Wow. I went Good. to my grandfather and said, this is what happened. I don't really want to go to school anymore. I wasn't going to school anyway, dude. <laughs> I skipped like 90 out of every 180 days to the point where they were like, you're bordering truancy. And I was like, oh, I'll do it online. Wow. And I convinced my grandfather I would do it online. I did it for two weeks. and was like, eh, this. So you've always had that uh, rebellious mentality. I think it's that um, I just don't believe in boxes. Mm-hmm. And I think like a lot of people try to put things into boxes that they're told to live within or to understand. For sure. So like as an example, I dropped out of school 15 Never passed geometry. Mm. Didn't pass algebra one. Didn't go to school enough to pass it because understanding a formula that I'll never apply in life made no sense. Yeah. So when it comes time to like do a calculation, like I'm very, very fast at calculations. Yeah. Everybody that knows me knows I'm with numbers, but I get to my conclusions in such a different way than everyone else because they were taught formulas mm. and I was taught logic. Interesting. Like when I was in second grade, um, we were couch surfing, my yeah. mom and I, and we went to, uh, I got like into some crazy magnet charter school thing. And it was all these really smart kids. And I was finally like, hell yeah, my people. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm in this class. They're doing like five, seven, eight years advanced. In second grade, we're doing like middle high school stuff and all these cool projects. It was so awesome. I wish we weren't that poor and I could have stayed there. Yeah. Um, but when I went back to regular school, one thing I took back with me was logic puzzles. And, you know, logic puzzles are just words that you have to draw a conclusion or figure out the answer or whatever. And mm-hmm. usually they're basically word math. So I'm in second grade, I'm in my class, Miss Mazer, never forget her, awesome chick, <laughs> shout out Miss Mazer. And uh, she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, and I mansplained her logic puzzles. Yep. I was like, oh, they're, they're like these puzzles with like math and like, you know, you have to figure out the answer and then you write it down. And she's like flipping through the book and she's like, you did all these? I was like, yeah. She's like, okay, here's the rules. During math, you can do this. During every other class, pay attention. And mm. I was like, okay, fair trade. And I think that was really like a pivotal moment for me in like enablement of me trying to be who I want to be. Yeah. And understanding that like I am a little different. That's awesome. In second grade for a teacher to, you know, hold your hand like that. Those elementary school teachers are so pure, man. Dude, some of them sucked. Yeah. You know, we all had that one or two teachers that were just like the worst. We were like, yeah, we remember her name. You forget (laughs) the names of some of the good ones, but the great ones always stand out. Yeah, I got one in fourth grade. Miss Fenton, man. Game changer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was my mazer. I'll tell you, uh, I think Miss Eiselman was like my third grade. I think that was her name, Eiselman, Eiselman. She was miserable. Yeah. I was hanging out with a buddy of mine, like my oldest friend from when I was like seven mm-hmm. the other day. And we were talking about how like she sucked. <laughs> we're we're yeah, in our dude. 30s now. Dude, I would get detention for like being different. It was kind of yeah. weird. Yeah. yeah like Anything they, that isn't like to the book. Yeah. They want you to conform so hard, even as a kid. It's crazy. But dropping out of 15, when was that big financial breakthrough for you? <sighs> Uh, <laughs> 11 years later. Oh, so it took a while. Yeah, so dropped out at 15, uh, played video games, was top 10 in the world in WoW, was <laughs> famous on another game, and I just kind of like did a lot of gray hat stuff on the internet. Yeah. And at like 19, my grandfather got diagnosed with cancer. I freaked out, started going to raves, partying, doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, after a while, I was, you know, partying way too much, started selling stuff started DJing because I realized most people's music taste sucked. Yeah. And then I started traveling around playing shows, direct support to a lot of guys. That was really cool, but it didn't make any money. Right. So I had like a finesse where I would at a promo company with 200 promoters and I would get all the tickets and I would distribute them. Mm. But any show that I thought would sell out, I would hold back a hundred tickets. Mm. I'd wait for the sellout. I'd sell them for double face and I'd make like five grand that month. Ticketmaster. And then I had all, yeah, and then I had all the comps. <laughs> that I had from being an artist, from having a management company, 
from being me, whatever. And I sell like 20 VIP passes and I'd make like eight grand every month or every other month on top of all the other shit I was doing. Okay. And that was like what got me through music for all those years. Nice. Yeah. And Cause then, music, yeah. you got to fund the travel and everything. Yeah. You got to figure it out. I mean, like, dude, dubstep back in the day, if you got paid $500, it was a good deal. <laughs> it, like the best guys in the biz were making 10 grand. I remember that phase of dubstep. Phase. Yeah. And it's like, I got like three grand one show it was like <laughs> you know i got 1500 a bunch of times it was like we're doing the thing yeah but so you stacked that up saved six figures and then you no st- oh you didn't <laughs> no so my my stepdad stole all of my mother's money oh damn and left her like completely broke with three kids so i took all the money i had from selling stuff from tickets from everything and kind of funneled that into keeping them alive because i'm dumb and just me being too nice as usual and then i had no money left damn so I was working in restaurants on and off from 15 to 24 for like legal money. And we moved to South Carolina after that happened. My mom was like, would you get a place with me? I was like, yeah, sure. Why not? We got a place. I was there for like six months running this wine bar. Not for me. <laughs> you know, when I got there, they were like, there's the mountains and the beach for things to do. And I was like, what's that mean? She goes, well, the mountains about two hours yonder. And uh, if you want to go to the beach, take a day trip. And I was like, what the hell does that mean? She's like, take a day trip. I'm like, you're not speaking English. She goes, you, like I'm retarded. Yeah. Take a day trip. And I'm like, a day trip? She's like, yeah, you're going to wake up at 8 a.m., going to drive on over, get there by noon, hang out there till about 4 p.m., drive on home. Jeez. So I was like, yeah, it's ain't for me. I grew up 15 minutes from the beach my whole life. Of course, I was too poor to have the time to go or the ride there, but, yeah. you know. So after that, I had a startup that was uh, called Festi Crates. Okay. It was a subscription box for like rave and festival apparel accessories yeah. and that and flopped we had 500k views i think on all of our promo material 17 sales (laughs) i went to my partners who were my two best friends at the time uh boyfriend girlfriend that i got together was a guys we're out of business (laughs) and they were like no we're gonna make it work and i was like no we're not yeah and they were like well we are going to so we don't think you should have a third of it i was like done i keep (laughs) 10 percent if you make it work you're that confident i owe nothing to our investor they were like yep deal i was like Okay, bye. And it flopped. <laughs> yeah, flopped. I ended up living in my car. Uh, we had like crazy falling out. They broke up. We're all still friends to this day, but okay, so you know, it took up. a couple of years to rekindle that. Yeah. But uh, lived in my car for a little bit. Was doing like consulting, helping people set up call centers, which mm-hmm. ironically I'm back to doing now, um, just kind of as a passion thing for extra money too. Yeah, I definitely want to dive into the call center stuff. But going back to the friendship and business, I'm so cautious with that these days. I've lost too many <sighs> friendships. From Dude. Me. Anytime somebody wants to do business with me, I mean, there's like two people that I was friends with, one of which I bought his entire baby registry, like a personal friend mm. that wanted to do a deal. I was like, okay, here are the terms. If you f- me, it's going to be a problem. Like, these are the terms. Are you sure you want to do it? These are the terms. Yeah. Entire baby registry. Couldn't make it. Sent my girlfriend to his baby shower. I mean, like very close friend. Ends up totally f- me over. Damn. But he's doing, you know, 25 30, probably 40 million in revenue now, having me over in Cirque to contracts. So now I have to sue the guy. And it's like, dude, we were friends. Holy crap. And so I, the money got to him? Yeah, it was just like the opportunity was there. His other business wasn't doing so good. And he was like, here's a pivot. It. Sue me. Wow. And I met up with him at a conference and I, I didn't know what to say to him. So I walked by and I was like, you know what? I want to talk to him. Are you interested in coming on the Digital Social Hour podcast as a guest? We'll click the application link below in the description of this video. We are always looking for cool stories, cool entrepreneurs to talk to about business and life. Click the application link below and here's the episode, guys. So I walked back over to him with a group of people. There's like five of us. Yeah. And I'm just like, hey, man. And he goes, 
hey, listen, man, we're good, bro. Like my family, we love you. I love you. My daughter loves you. My wife loves you. Let the lawyers do what the lawyers do. And I was like, okay. Because if that was true, you wouldn't have me over, you know? You would have just done yeah, the right thing. That's rough, man. So, Money changes people. Dude, business partners and friendships are really, really hard to maintain. Yeah. Because when things go wrong in business, people don't know how to compartmentalize the personal side. Like I can be your friend and still not like to do business with you and do it. But if I really don't want to work with you and you're my friend, our friendship, like you said, it's over. Yeah. Because if I decide I don't want to do that anymore, people co-mingle that. And they're like, oh, yeah, we were friends, and then this happened. Or, or when people have ideas, mm-hmm. you definitely get this because you get pitched a lot of ideas. A You've told me some really smart ones. Yeah. And like sometimes people are like, I have this great idea. Do it with me. And if you don't do it with them, they take it as an insult. <laughs> or if you go to do it, and then you're like, hey, you know what? This really isn't for me. Or like, I don't really have the time for this. Or I don't think it's going to work as well. They take like a personal attack that you don't believe in their idea. And it's like, no, I just don't know that I could do your idea. Right. And it becomes a huge issue. I mean, even today, like I try to avoid the business friendship thing. I like to do business with people and have them become my friends. Mm. Like I like when people start as coworkers, colleagues, you can call them employees if you want and then become my friends, become my family. And some people don't, man. Like we had a guy here for the last year or so who just never assimilated into our culture. Wow. He wasn't really that great at the he was good, but he wasn't like our team is top tier. Yeah. He was like upper mid. Okay. And so it didn't really work out. We ended up, you know, letting him go, giving him a check and everything. And uh, nice guy, but never bothered to assimilate in our culture to the point where I didn't even know he existed. <laughs> I couldn't have told you if he worked for me. You didn't know his name? I knew his name, but I couldn't have told you if he worked for me. <laughs> you know, when I had like 300 people in a call center, ironically, I knew everybody's name. I knew everybody's wife, everybody's kids, everything. Wow, that's impressive. Everything. And I'd walk in, I'd bust balls, I would like freestyle, I'd just have fun with people and make it a good environment to work in. Yeah. But when happened and I lost half my net worth, all people saw was, oh, this guy bought a uh, you know, big house on the water, private beach, all that. He's got a Ferrari, a Lambo, all these cars. People were like, oh, he's it. Oh, I made that money years ago. I'm getting right now. I was losing like 250 grand a week and yeah. I kept keeping people employed because I didn't want them to be screwed in Right. So to me, I'm like, I'm this great guy trying to help people. And then they all, when they finally did have to get let go, and we did shut that company down, that one particular one that had a couple hundred employees, they were all like, and that's kind of when I realized, like, it's really, it truly is, what have you done for me lately? Mm. It's not, what have you done for me? Nobody cares about anything other than what happened right now and how they're impacted. Yeah, people don't think long-term, right? Yeah, and it's also, they're the main character of their own story, right. you know? Yeah. Like, you're effectively, as an employer, if you don't know the people, you're an NPC. <laughs> yeah. That's true, man, for sure. But going back to call centers, I mean, it's 2023 and they're still working, huh? Yeah, so I mean, I haven't had a call center since 21 when I sold one to Bain Capital. Um, but I help people start call centers. I finance call centers. I provide them with you know capital to grow. Uh, a lot of that feeds back into them spending money with my marketing company. Yeah. But call centers still work. It's not the same as it used to be. You know, the days of effectively outbound calling people that don't want calls are kind of dead. Right. But, you know, getting consumers interested in a product, having them call in and make a purchase, that's very much still alive. So warm leads. Yeah. So uh, you have like three types of lead product. You have your data leads, Mm -hmm. your warm calls, and your cold calls. So when I say cold calls, okay, sorry. Inbound calls, transfers, data leads. Mm -hmm. An inbound call is a consumer taking their own initiative to make a phone call to buy a product or service or to inquire about one. A data lead is somebody filling out a form, usually not thinking they're going to get called, which is why we all hate filling out forms. You know, we go online (laughs) and we're like, 
I want to figure out how much auto insurance is going to cost. And we have 27 calls. Never, ever, ever, this is to the audience, never request anything credit, debt, or finance related on the internet. You will get destroyed with calls. Um, and then you have transfers, which are those warm transfer product where a person gets a phone call that they probably didn't want. And then they get transferred after being qualified to a person to sell them a product or service. Yeah. So we focus only on the consumer initiated side where the consumer takes the action. They're genuinely interested. It's a very high quality, high value product. And that's why our revenue is so much higher than everybody else in the space. Yeah, that makes sense. And you're also spending 40 mil a year on paid ads, right? Yeah. In excess. On Facebook or? Uh, so we use all platforms, you know, Facebook, IG, Google, YouTube, TikTok, Snap. And how did you manage to scale to that? Because people can't even dream about something. Lots of accounts, man. I mean, you know, the thing for me was I started out in 2018. We had a very, very high cost product. Mm-hmm. So the average industry product was like 230 in the insurance space doing like short-term plans. We were doing 500. Jeez. So I had a button in my system that said broke under 250. So if somebody didn't have $250, we weren't even going to talk to them. Mm. And I realized later, like, hey, my friends would like those. So I started downselling them. And I did it to buy this exact watch, actually. I think I told you the story before. <laughs> yeah. But I wanted to buy this watch. Girlfriend wouldn't let me. <laughs> now a lesbian. You remember? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I really wanted the watch. Made two grand a week, five grand a week, 10 grand a week. And I was like, hey, it's a real business. But they started complaining that some of the people were even too poor for them. And when that happened, I was like, what do we do with poor people? Mm. And there are all these different government benefit programs, Obamacare being one of them. And I was like, duh. So I convinced a Medicare agency to give me a few agents to allocate to this. They pivoted their entire agency. They have hundreds of agents now. And, uh, you know, sometime later they want to sell their company. So they divested from me a bit uh, in making me their main marketing partner. And I was just one of their marketing partners. Mm -hmm. So... When my revenue took a dive, I went to the old company that I sold to Bain and said, get in health, get in health, get in health. And they were like, okay, we think we're going to get in health. And I'm like, get in health. Yeah. Then they finally got in and we kind of scaled them to the moon and we were able to help them grow. Mm-hmm. And you know, now it's the exact same thing where we're just a part of their business. Yeah. So to, to prevent that from happening again, uh, partners and I raised a bunch of money. So we're now financing and incubating insurance agencies so that they can grow And as they grow, they obviously buy marketing. So it keeps my business afloat, Mm -hmm. helps them grow, helps them make a lot of money, and they don't have to come out of pocket millions of dollars to get into the business. So I love that. Yeah, I've been studying the insurance game recently. It seems like a lot of guys can make eight or nine figures in that space. I think a lot of people do, but I don't think a lot can. Mm. So you got to think that there are hundreds of thousands of people with insurance licenses. Yeah. There are only handfuls of people that make it to that level. They have to be the owners of the company. Yeah, you definitely have to be the owner of the company or you have to be somebody with a massive downline. Yeah. You know, like a, a big tree with like, you know, you got one guy in early and he grew to 5,000 employees, something like that, where right. you're able to make that dollar off the top that really adds up. Yeah. But the majority of the time, yeah, it's people owning the business, but it's so lucrative if you can do it right. Yeah. A lot of people do it wrong, but. For sure. So is that your plan to get to the billion dollar mark? No, no, Tech. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the insurance stuff is great. And don't get me wrong. Like I do very well. Uh, I flew private for a year and a half. That taught me a lot. Uh, <laughs> was it worth it? No. Okay. <laughs> what I will say about private, if you are flying less than uh, two hours, always fly private. If you're flying greater than like three, don't fly private. Because if you're flying two hours, let's equate like time to money. Let's say from all ventures combined, let's call it 20 grand an hour, 25 grand an hour, depending on the week. Mm-hmm. If we were to say I spend half an hour stressing to get to the airport, an hour at TSA, 30 minutes for my bag, I'm out two hours for that leg. Right. 
my flight's only two. Now I have to fly back. So I'm spending equal time waiting and stressing. I'm like, what if I brought a water bottle? I might get frisked, you know? <laughs> like got grabbed because I brought a soda with me or something. I don't drink soda, but wait, you get it. Yeah, yeah. So that to me is really stressful and it's a massive waste of time. Mm. But if you're flying like five, six, seven, 10 hours, like let's say I'm going from my Florida place to my Hawaii place, dude, that's a 10 hour flight, 11 if you get bad winds. Yeah. Flying private there is a lot of money. That would cost I mean, that's, years, yeah, right? it's like, like 150K round trip type thing. Yeah. Not a good situation to be in, you right. know? And the types of planes you have to buy or rent to get that far, not like they're beautiful, but not fun on the wallet. Yeah. Like when my grandfather was doing bad, I flew back and forth to Florida so many times to make my head spin. 90K each way from, from here or from LA. Damn. And it's just like every time I get there, and when he did finally pass, I got there and I was like, dude, you know, I really thought um, I spent, you know, 450, 500 grand on this this year that you were just going to be like, just kidding, I'm still living, you know? <laughs> and I was hiking in Colorado because he was uh, unconscious on a ventilator and intubated. I was hiking in Colorado. I get a phone call, FaceTime from my uncle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my grandfather. And he goes, Brandon, where are you? And I was like, oh, I'm hiking in Colorado with my girlfriend. He goes, when are you going to be here? And I was like, I don't know, next couple of days. He's like, you're not going to make it. He was right. Wow. Got on a jet the next morning, had two hours of talking to him. A lot of that was about trivial that yeah. he just wanted to learn, you know, talk about. And then uh, I had my assistant overnight a photo of us from when I was a kid. It was a painting of awesome. uh, me and him when I was three. Yeah. And when I got there the next morning, couldn't open his eyes. And I was like, get out. I was like, dude, you need to open your eyes. The painting is here. You have to open your eyes and see it. And after like an hour of trying every like 10 minutes, he finally opened his eyes, said that he saw it. And then I felt kind of a little more at peace. Wow. That's, that's insane. Yeah, it was up. I'm sorry you went through that, dude. No, dude, it was rough. Like yeah. that was like mother and father in one mentor, borderline idol. Like yeah. there was not a greater human, a harder worker, like a kinder soul. Wow. What did yeah. he do for work? Uh, sales. sales. Yeah. So I grew up in a family of salespeople. I mean, by age of three, I knew how to manipulate people, you know? <laughs> Sales does get a bad rep for that. It does. But the thing is, like, all of life is manipulation. Mm. Social engineering is, like, the most basic thing as a human. Your kids manipulate you. Right. When a kid wants food, it cries. Mm-hmm. You know, when it sh- it cries. It's not crying because it's sad. It's crying because it thinks that will elicit the response that gets you to take the sh- out of its diaper. Interesting. I never thought of it that way. Yeah, kids are the most manipulative things on planet, man. So they're not as innocent as we make it seem. Well, they're, I mean, they don't understand what they're doing. It's human nature. But, right. you know, the smarter a kid is or the more gifted they are in that skill, you know? Yeah. Damn. So have you gone through um, a lot of successful people? They end up losing everything along the way a few times. Has that happened to you? Um, I mean, I lived in my car in 2016. That was rough, mm-hmm. right? Like, had this startup fail, hit rock bottom. I remember the worst time of my life. I went to Walmart. Did I ever tell you a story about me going to Walmart, multigrain bread roll? Oh, you did, I think. Yeah. yeah. Went into Walmart. Stole a multigrain bread roll, yeah. had a seed stuck in my tooth and could not afford to rip the tooth out, yeah. my wisdom tooth. And I walked around for like four days, just tears streaming down my face from the nerve, not even pain, just the nerve. Yeah. And uh, that was where I was like, okay, this sucks. And I couldn't afford my car payment that I was living in. So I pretended everything was fine, went to the dealership, traded it for a four-door, thought I would Uber. And uh, I basically told myself, you got 45 days to figure out how to make this payment or you're dead. Like, wow. just yourself. Damn. And uh, I did three Uber rides. First one, smelliest dude I've ever met in my life. <laughs> it was so bad. Dude. The guy like did not believe in deodorant and was construction. Oh man. I was like, okay, my car's gonna reek for a week. And I don't like those air fresheners because they don't smell good to me. Yeah. You know? Like They're not good for you either. Yeah, that too. So I was like, all right, fine. Next one will be better. Next one I get, 
three frat kids in South Florida, so very entitled. Yeah. They're like, hey, take us to, you know, whatever club in Fort Lauderdale. I'm like, cool, no problem, got you guys. They're like, yeah, we'll take care of you, but uh, we left our credit card at the barbershop. Can you run us back? I'm literally at the strip. Yeah. Like, so I take him back. I come back, and I'm like, yo, like you said, you're going to take care of me. Like, what's the deal with that? And the guy was like, oh, yeah, thanks, man. I'm like, no, like, actually, though. And I, like, got out of the car, walked into the bar, left my car in the middle of the road, and was like, yo, like, do we have a problem? To oh, the point where, you? No, I literally got removed from the, the venue by security <laughs> because I was going to this kid over not giving me a tip. Like, that's what my life came to. Oh, my God. You know, now my average tip, like, I walk around with $100 bills for everybody. Yeah. But at that time, it was like that $20 meant everything to me. Wow. Too. Yeah, now, that was probably, rock bottom. That's probably a message not to do Uber. Yeah, no, definitely not. Do not do it. I don't <laughs> want to do it. People smell. Yeah. My third guy was really smelly too. And then I was like, this. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. So what'd you do from there? Uh, started like helping people in call centers, okay. doing a lot of like call center consulting, a lot of like bedrooms. I mean, I now have a bikini company with a girl. Um, it's at Kiki, the brand and the bikini company crushes girl that lived, uh, in the house with her father was in college, whatever. And I was building a call center out of his living room. Mm -hmm. And at the time I had a girlfriend and I was just like, man, if I didn't have a girlfriend, <laughs> and then some years later, I didn't have a girlfriend. So you got with her, uh, happens. <laughs> uh, but you know, some time later she had done kind of what I did and helped everybody around her and kind of like ran her situation, um, a little too lean. Mm. So I had to infuse some capital and, you know, now have a piece of that. And it's really cool to like watch the growth and the learning experience from her going from making a ton of money to opening a cafe for her sister's dream to, mm you know, employing all of her friends and learning the hard way that your friends and family will sometimes take advantage of given the chance to, and just all the that I had to learn, but she learned it on a smaller budget. Yeah. So that really hurts. Yeah. Um, but Dude, yeah, everyone goes through that with success, family, friends, they all try to get their piece of it. You know, it's unfortunate. Yeah. It sucks because you know, you have two options. You can become jaded like most people do and just hate everybody and suspect everybody and have these like negative feelings about humanity, or you can just be like, okay, this is just unfortunate. It is what it is. Comes with the territory. I'm not going to change who I am, but mm -hmm. it sucks. Yeah, for sure. So if you lost everything, all your money right now, all your assets, but you still had the mindset, all your knowledge and your connections, how long would it take to make a million? 30 days. That's it? Maybe 45. What would you do? Uh, so I could do any number of things and still do that. I mean, I'll give you a great example. I had a guy, I do a, an Ask Me Anything on Discord every Thursday, right? Yeah. Free advice to anybody, anywhere, anything that won't hurt my business, I'll tell you. And this guy was like, yeah, I have this course for tech sales. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay. He's like, yeah, I teach people how to get jobs in tech sales. And I'm like, okay, what's that like? He goes, well, I explained to them what tech sales is. And I'm like, okay, so what's, what are they paying you for? He's like, well, they're paying me to explain to them how to get a job in tech sales. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, so go on Indeed? Like, how are we doing this? And he's yeah. like, no, I kind of like teach them what you'll be doing and like skills you need to develop. And I'm like, how much do you charge? He goes, 1500 bucks. I was like, holy f Wow. I did the math on it. was like, wow, I could run this as an offer and make like 30, 40 million a year. And my eyes closed just <laughs> doing one call a week. That's was like, I'm in the wrong business. People actually pay for that? Yeah. Well, the thing is like everybody that has a goal of doing something more knows like there are opportunities that pay better than others, right? Yeah. Like insurance, tech, sales. Those are all businesses that are lucrative. They're never going anywhere. And so getting a tech sales job is like guaranteed six figures. Right. So for somebody who's working like 50K a year and wants to move into it, you know, paying $1,500 to have access to a six-figure industry, it's kind of a good deal. Yeah. 
So, I mean, like I get all these ideas that I teach people how to scale, but then they come to me and I'm like, oh, this is what you could do. That makes sense. Dude, it's been super fun, Brandon. Anything you want to close off with or promote? Uh, digital social hour. <laughs> there we go, baby. Where can people find you? Uh, at Bowski on IG. I don't really use any other platforms. Discord.com or discord.gg slash Bowski. Yeah, definitely message from guys. He always helps out. I love how much content you put in the group chat, man. I really appreciate you helping people out. Thanks for watching, guys. As always, I'll see you next time.